0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Building Success, a real estate podcast. My name is Nick, and I will once again be your guide as we talk to some of the best and brightest in the worlds of real estate tech, operations, and financials from across the globe. This podcast would not be possible without listeners such as yourselves. So if you like what you hear and you want to hear more of it, Please consider liking, subscribing, and reviewing the podcast wherever it is that you might listen to us, whether that be on Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, SoundCloud. Uh, If you type in Building Success on Google, a podcast will pop up. One way or the other, we appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your feedback. So please reach out to us and let us know how we're doing. On today's episode, I spoke with Sarah Larby, and she invests in real estate in Canada. And this is a topic that we really haven't touched on in past episodes, which is the Canadian real estate market, how it's different from the United States and, and globally. Uh, there are some intricacies there when it when it comes to investing. There's a lot of things that are similar, but it was really fascinating to talk to Sarah and hear about some of her strategies regarding the types of tenants that she wants at her uh, properties, and even how she decides which properties to invest in. So uh, really informative, really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you do as well. And without further ado, here is Sarah Larby. Well, thank you, Sarah Larby for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be on the show.
0: And uh, before we get going on our on our topics today, and I do say topics because I feel like there's a there's a lot of things that we can dive into. Uh, I'd like to get a little bit of a background on you and and what's brought you to the real estate industry.
1: Yeah. So how I got into it? This is back in 2013. I remember going to the bank and. The financial advisor there asked us what our assets and our liabilities and what those were. And we literally had nothing to show for the amount of years that we spent working yeah. in the past. And so I went home and Googled how to become wealthy and how people get rich. And real estate kept coming back over and over. And that's how it actually happened. <laughs> yeah. I became super obsessed with you know that piece of, of potential freedom and early freedom and retirement, etc., and it just seemed like the most logical in my mind uh, way to to get there. I mean, obviously, you can start a business, you can get into stocks and all that stuff. But real estate for me was the, the simplest way, potentially, um, <laughs> for, in my opinion, to, to get to where my goals were. And so in 2013, um, my spouse and I, I, and I, we bought our... First investment property, which was actually his sister. It was one hundred and twenty nine thousand um, dollars, and it was the cheapest thing that we could afford, and so that's how we got started.
0: <laughs> and just just completely moved on from there, and and build to better and uh, bigger and greater things. That's that's awesome. So, you say you you built you uh bought this property. What you didn't mention, and why I really wanted to talk to you today, is you're Canadian. And yes, so. We are a global podcast in nature, and we've we've interviewed people from around the globe, but uh, not Canada specifically. And that was one thing I wanted to touch on today was the Canadian real estate market. Something I don't know that much about. Um, just from a, a super high level, what are what are some of the major differences you've seen uh, between the U.S. and Canada when it comes to real estate?
1: So they are mostly around taxes, financing, and prices <laughs> of properties. Um, again, it depends where in Canada. Of course, you can go really far north where there's like nobody living there and you can buy super cheap houses. But in the areas where people do live, I mean, we don't really hear of $50,000 houses like you guys have in the US. So mm-hmm. some of the concepts are the same. Um, you're, you're not really going to get like that 1% rule very easily, unless you go quite out of the major market centers but I would say the biggest two things would be the financing and the taxes. So when I'm talking about financing, um, we've got obviously the five or six big banks that we call them, so RBC, TD, Scotiabank, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people that will buy real estate, they, they look at those five big banks. Um, some people say there's six of them, but, um, and that's, that's where they go. And then otherwise, in terms of financing, there's trust companies, and then there is credit unions, but essentially, like we don't have like random private banks where you can wheel and deal with one specific bank and bank manager. Like it's just a little bit different here, where it's all national banks, yeah. and so that's that's quite different. And um, you know the the requirements for investment properties is that you put 20% down as the down payments, unless you're gonna live in it, which at that point in time you can put a little bit less, um, depending on if it's a single family, duplex, etc. And then the tax piece, you guys definitely have a better advantage. Yeah. <laughs> like we don't have such a thing as a 1031 exchange, so you sell the property, you're paying taxes, unfortunately you can't carry it over until, um, to the next house like you guys can, right? And yeah. so, um, there's, there's a few things. And then the other the other thing I would also say is legally the structure um, in Canada is different. Like we would set up um, two ways, either personally in our own personal names. When you guys do investment properties, and I don't know the U.S. market as well, but LLCs is always the thing that's recommended. But for yeah. us in Canada, it actually might be a recommendation to just keep it under your own name um, because you get such better financing terms, et cetera, and then not put in a corporation until you get you know, to your fifth or sixth or seventh, as an example, but you'll be able to get that advice from your your accountant, your mortgage broker, um, and your lawyer, and they actually might have different reasonings why you should or should not.
0: So, so it feels, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is this, in Canada, is it less loose than it is in the United States? You, you've got a little bit more rigidity with the larger banks versus, you know, a, maybe a handshake deal in one of these smaller ones. Uh, but then between that and yes. the taxes, it's it's a little. You need to be a little bit more smart with how you plan for the properties that you purchase.
1: Absolutely, it's definitely a lot more difficult. Um, but there are ways around it, and like this is why here you would want to work with a good mortgage broker so that they help you surpass. There's you know everyone's got a financing wall. Um, you know, usually after the fifth one, it gets quite hard to acquire more, but working with a good mortgage broker that has the connections with, with different credit unions or, um, the different trust companies like Equitable Bank, as an example, is going to be really helpful. But yeah, this is not, it's not as easy as it is in the U S. Um, and in the U S you guys have programs where the down payment is such, you know, small amount, depending on, um, I think it's like if they're army etc like 2.5 percent down payment yeah. doesn't exist here um, or any of that stuff and so it's um, it's definitely more difficult but I don't think it's I don't think it's a horrible thing I, I think that the thing to keep in mind is that because it's a little bit harder to get mortgages and financing you know like we are a little bit of a, a safer situation than what happened in 2008 with you guys right in, and yeah. in, in that sense and so um, yes, people are leveraged and potentially over leveraged, but um, it's still very much dictated by our financial system, which is run nationally.
0: So fairly open-ended question for you. How, how do you personally determine a good property that that's worthy of an investment versus versus a bad property?
1: Yeah, so I look at cash flow first and foremost. I don't think that there's like a good property or a bad property, but we don't necessarily have things that cash flow the same amount that you guys have. And so a lot of people that will come to me, maybe they've listened to a lot of American podcasts, they might say something along the lines of, you know, I'm looking for something with that 1% roll or something with a 2% roll. And I think that unfortunately, like if you're looking at, at the fundamentals of buying into an area... And, and I have a fundamentals checklist on, on my website, but it essentially, you know, are jobs coming into the area? Is population increasing in that area? Are there multiple industries? Is transportation increasing? So those are all things that I will look for in order to, to pick uh, an area or a market to invest in. Um, the vacancy rates are another huge difference. I mean, our vacancy rates in, as an example in Southern Ontario are not even 1%. We've got a huge shortage of housing and such demand. And because of the immigration, um, so we have about 400,000 people that come in, 260,000 of them come into the GTA, which is Southern Ontario. It's just creating an insane amount of demand and there's just not enough rental uh, properties. Um, You know, and the other piece of it, and I can speak on Ontario is that the government limits you to how much you can rent increase every single year. But the market rents are going up like 10% or 15% a year. But we can only raise it, you know, this coming year as an example, 2.2%. So we as as um investors, we actually don't want tenants that are going to be living there forever. Versus you guys, you might say, I want a tenant for life. Well for me, I'm like, if they're going to be there for more than five years, I'm going to be so behind on rent they yeah. need to leave and it's going to be hard to kick them out.
0: <laughs> That's super interesting though because, you know, keeping an apartment fully occupied, um renting out single family homes, the the occupancy rate in the United States is paramount to, you know, this ever shifting rent scheme that you have right now in Canada.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh. So I mean, and just to circle back to your question, what's a good property? I mean, I look for a little bit of cash flow. Ultimately, I mean, if I'm buying a property in Brantford, Ontario, for example, um, I, you know, I think right now they're going for about three hundred thousand. You're going to put twenty percent down. Uh, you're probably going to rent that for let's call it seventeen, eighteen hundred dollars a month. Um, I, I am okay with that. If I was going to the U.S., I'm not. And the difference is that, we. We do get appreciation um, versus, I think, the lots of parts in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we've had some crazy appreciation and we don't always bank on that and that's icing on the cake. Um, but, you know, that plus the mortgage pay down and a little bit of cash flow and you're holding for the long term because of the housing issues that we're having in terms of so many people looking for property and places to live in and they just can't find anything, it's just like it's just a solid investment overall. And so I look at those three things, but I don't necessarily need to be you know, looking for the one percent rule where I'm investing because I think over the long term it's going to be. You know, the unfortunately I think the middle class will be will be somewhat eliminated. It's going to be investors that are owning the property or people that have bought them. You know, today <laughs> in 20 yeah. years from now that I just don't think there's going to be much much available left for people to get into the market.
0: Well, you you have this, and you mentioned this and alluded to it earlier. You have this. Uh Barely comprehensive checklist for determining the worth and value of a property, and I want to put that in the show notes for for our listeners because it was it's really convenient going kind of down the list and knowing what to look mm-hmm. for in in the circumstance and and regardless of where you are, if it's Canada or the United States, I think a lot of those um, carry over regardless of of region. Um, something else. You uh, you mentioned on your website that I wanted to make sure I asked about was this and and tell me if this is right or wrong this burr strategy it's yes. a, a B with four <laughs> R's after um, I was yes. hoping you could dive into that a little bit
1: sure absolutely originally I was doing the buy and hold models so we'd buy a property put a tenant in etc and then hold on to it but over time because the prices are just dramatically increasing. I can't just get something turnkey anymore and put a tenant in and, and make any cash flow. Mm-hmm. And so in order to, to be able to A, continue what I'm doing and not have to save for every single down payment, um, we started to renovate the properties and to bring up the value. So just looking for, so basically bird just so um, your listeners know, it stands for buying. So B stands for buying. Mm-hmm. The first R stands for renovate. Then rent, then refinance, and then repeat. And it just allows, Uh, investors and and myself as an example to be able to recoup that money after it's been refinanced, put a a tenant in with the highest amount possible of rents, and then go and and buy that next property and and repeat the same process over. When I first started getting into real estate investing, I didn't even think that people were able to do this strategy that they had to save for every single house and 20% in Canada on a two three four hundred thousand dollar house is quite a lot of money yeah. and it's gonna be a long time before you save for the next one
0: yeah and and so okay so that's interesting so when you say the repeat that's that's referencing going to another property then and not starting over and re-renovating the same properties or re-renting two new tenants or anything like that
1: exactly so I'll, I'll basically buy something renovate usually I try to just do like cosmetic stuff that's just gonna be. Bringing up the value of the house, like I avoid foundation stuff. I avoid a lot of the, um, you know, stuff that's not going to bring up the value, like safety stuff. But I'll buy something that's just dated, that just needs to be, ref- you know, refreshed a little bit. Twenty, thirty thousand dollars of reno as an example, and then what I do afterwards is I will renovate that before I I rent it, and then the the tenant profile that it can get and the rent amount that I can get is gonna be higher because people want a renovated property. Um, you know, it doesn't have to have all the bells and whistles, but people do pay more for properties that are renovated. And once I have the rents agreements, which um, the other thing is, by the way, I only do month to month agreements, and we can talk about that if if you want afterwards, but I don't like to sign yearly leases <laughs> or anything longer than that. I just really like the month-to-month piece. But essentially, I show the bank the new lease with the new amounts. When the appraiser comes and all that stuff, they take a look at the the current value of the renovated property, compare that to, you know, what's been selling in the market, they may also look at the uh, lease agreement just to say, okay, well, this is going to cover everything, um, even at a higher amount. And essentially that's what happens. And so the bank says, okay, well, you know, your new property is now worth X amount more, you know, maybe I bought it for 220. It's refinancing for, you know, it's now worth 300,000. I refinance that for 80% of the new value. So then the banks in Canada always want to keep 20% in the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just basically you know, pay back your rental money, et cetera. And sometimes you can get all of your money back out. Sometimes you can get part of it, but um, it just helps with the, you know, the numbers and the ROI. Cause ultimately, you know, after you do this for a few times, you're just reusing the bank's money and your, your ROI is really infinity because you're not even putting in your own money anymore. You're just reusing the bank's money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. And I, I wanna get to the tenant piece of this as well because we have we have a lot of listeners that invest in real estate, obviously, but we actually have a, a pretty big portion that are also operators and property managers of properties. And mm-hmm. you know, I typically like to ask, you know, how do you how do you keep good tenants? But I almost wanna ask you, what what is your ideal tenant profile? If, if you are someone who likes to, to work on a month-to-month, and because of the, the laws in Canada, the actual kind of changing out of tenants uh, might be more favorable, what what to you is an ideal tenant?
1: That is a great question. So I will say, so where I invest, which is Ontario, it is so important to put the right tenant in the place because it is gonna be so difficult to kick them out. So so i actually have like a five-step screening process like literally from you know so basically i'll advertise myself on craigslist which Mm -hmm. is the canadian version is called kijiji and then i have like a specific set of questions so like usually one is like tell me a little bit about yourself and your family are you smokers you have pets um and and, like a phone number and your name if they can't even answer that like i don't even care (laughs) they're gone already so let's just say for example i post an ad I get 50 replies in the matter of three days, it's not uncommon. Um, I might screen out half of them already because they can't answer those questions. And if they can't take the directions from that, then they're not gonna be able to take directions from when I need them to pay on time.
0: Sure. Um,
1: and so then after that, I do call them, I still block, block my number, I do a phone screening, I have a whole list of questions. Um, and you have to be very careful that you're not discriminating. So if I don't like somebody, I basically just let them know, I'll call them back when I have, um, the dates for showing the property. And I just kind of don't talk to them for about 15, 20 minutes at that point in time, the ones that I, I selected from the Craigslist Kijiji ads. And then based on that, like some of the questions will be like, how long do you want to live in the property? And to answer your question, I mean, if they say I'm really looking for my forever home, uh, no, not for me, unfortunately, because, um, you know, again, like I mentioned, if the market rents are going up 15% a year, but I'm only allowed to increase it 2.2. I mean, after three years, I'm so far behind. Yeah. And they need to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so then, you know, that's, that's one of the, the things I look for. And then the other piece of that um, afterwards is when they see the property, they fill out an application if they want to. Um, based on that uh, specific thing, I will call the past landlords, current landlords. I will pull credit. And they go through that whole process. And then um, step four is I actually do an interview with them in person, face to face, just again to go through the whole whole application, any questions I have. And then finally, the last step is I sign the lease agreement. So I, I think it's just so important in a place where the laws are in favor of the tenants to really do your due diligence because um, the whole experience of having a good tenant or a bad tenant can make or break everything. And your desire to potentially keep going, and at some point, everyone's going to have to go through. You know, some some people slip through here and there, but ultimately, I would never just give keys to the first person that says, "Here is like six months' cash up front." Um, yeah. It just doesn't make any sense.
0: So, so for you, and I know a lot of this is is passive income. Um, what what is your kind of ideal? Um, I guess number of properties that you feel just as a as a solo investor, or if, if you do it with your spouse, um, how many properties is too many? What's what's that kind of sweet spot that you've you've found in recent years?
1: I mean, right now, let's just call it ten properties takes me two hours a month to okay. do. Just because I've set them up, where I mean, I'm not the one going to do any rental work, and so if you have a good team set up in place, I don't I don't think it's a matter of how many. I think you just need to set them up. Um, correctly it's still very manageable right now at this point Um, you know maybe another 15 potentially more at that point in time you just hand over your portfolio but I actually don't don't mind it and because I do such a thorough job of finding the tenants and screening them and ensuring that they understand all the you know rules right regulations I mean they're still paying customers you treat them well, they'll you know hopefully in return do the same Um, it's it's not as much work as people think that it is going to be. If you set up the right team uh, in place, which I would say usually if you've got a couple of handymen, uh, HVAC person, a plumber, um, an electrician, I mean, ultimately, you know how to text on your phone. (laughs) something happens, your tenants will text you or, or send you a message, and you just dispatch whoever it is that you need to dispatch, and so that's, what we've been doing since 2013 and of course things happen and you know i'm not like handy at all so i'm not the one that's going and i think that's probably been a blessing in disguise and the fact that i wouldn't be able to fix anything (laughs) i have to rely on other people
0: and and speaking of of things that you don't have control over um you know, one one big piece that might be scary for, for people thinking about investing that may not already be doing so is the real estate market generally, right? And uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of talk about a cooling off period with the real estate industry. Where, where do you see the real estate go, uh, industry going the next, I don't know, one to five years? And how will that affect your investment strategy?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I, I do get asked that quite often like aren't you worried about your properties and and here's my answer is that like where we're investing in canada i cannot speak about the us because it's a whole different market but because of the issue with the supply and demand of housing and rents and and people just not even like the one you know a lot of these areas are under one percent vacancy let's just say something happens to the market and i don't have a crystal ball but you know it goes down 20 percent. i'm like i don't i don't really care i'm not losing any sleep my tenants are going to stay if anything, there's going to be more people that need to rent. <laughs> yeah. So our our rents aren't going to go down 20% just because the house prices are going to go down 20% or whatever it is. And if it happens, it happens. But because I'm in this for the long term and I'm not flipping and I'm not, um, you know, I'm holding on to these properties, I'm not worried. And, um, you know, I would say a lot of the investors that are investing currently, I mean, like for us, we look at that as a potential good opportunity to just be able to snag some, below market deals that, you know, you hold on to for long enough and they'll, they'll come back up. You know, it comes down and it'll come back up. And I would say just, you know, if you sell and you panic, that's when you truly lose. Or where you really lose is if you're buying on speculation and you're not cash flowing a property because you bought in Toronto, as an example, where the rents don't cover the cost of the properties at this point. So you're paying for your tenants to live there, maybe yeah. a few hundred dollars a month just to carry the place, well, yeah, those those people, I mean, they're going to be in a different spot, maybe, than somebody that's going out a little bit further from the city, maybe an hour, an hour and a half, two hours out, and finding something that at least the tenants cover all the costs. And those people that are doing that, those investors that are doing that, I don't think any of them really care if the market drops. I think it's an opportunity to buy more, if anything.
0: Yeah, the uh, the old Warren Buffett strategy of, you know, buy big in the recession and, you know, hopefully everything everything picks back up. But it sounds like with the real estate market, the way that it is in Ontario, it's it's kind of a, a really good position for you to be in as an investor.
1: I think so. Ultimately, like our fundamentals that you look for, right? And immigration is a big one. Like unless, unless they were to say tomorrow, we are going to have no more immigrants come through for 10 years, like which they're never going to say that. (laughs) That's a big part of what what builds our economy, et cetera. And so, you know, and I think that's the other piece is if you're looking for a market and you're going through that fundamentals checklist and you're picking based on, you know, the fundamentals, the things that are important to look for in order for an area to keep growing and and to um, appreciate to some extent over time, then I think people will be okay and again yes it could go down 20%. will it? I don't know and you know I don't I don't really care <laughs> yeah. if it does then sure okay great let's deploy some cash <laughs> and buy some more.
0: So uh, tell me tell me a little bit about your uh, real estate investing club. I saw that on your website as well
1: Yeah so the right club it's um, it stands for real estate investing training and education. So we started about three years ago and i would say at this point we probably have about 250 investors that come out every single month and they are monthly events and we share and we educate on different topics so um and it's not just us speaking like we we want the club to be about the people that are coming and i think that's why we grew so fast is it's education it's networking it's an opportunity for people to learn without having to spend thousands and thousands of dollars i mean it costs fifty dollars at the door they can get some passes um if they want to pay a little bit less per event. but it's purely education and um there's you know tons of opportunity to to network and find others that are like-minded at this point we're also launching online um in the next i would say three months so we're working the whole online division because we have a lot of people from vancouver or across the country that can't come to those events that still want the content yeah and so we are uh, we are also about to launch a whole online community for canada and for people wanting to get into investing and people that are already investing
0: well great and sarah thank you so much for your time today i you've you've mentioned a lot this this checklist this burr strategy uh, the Real Estate Investment Club. I, I don't think we've mentioned yet, but you also have a podcast, if, if not multiple podcasts. Uh,
1: <laughs> yes. Where
0: where can everybody find more information on you and what you're doing and, and all of these things that are happening?
1: Yeah, so I have two podcasts, actually. One is called Where Should I Invest? And then the other one is called The Right Club Podcast. We have a podcast that goes with our, with our club. But if they wanted to reach out, they can go to my website, which is Sarah Larby s-a-r-a-h-l-a-r-b-i.com and uh, they can have the information there. They can also go to our club. So if they're in the uh, Burlington or the GTA area, uh, mm-hmm. the club is the rightclub.com um, And I'm also on Instagram, which is investor Sarah Larby. They can add me there, reach out to me there. Um, and if they wanted the checklist, the fundamentals checklist, they can just download it off the website on my website. It's on the first page there.
0: Perfect. Well, again, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. I, uh, I appreciate you uh, spending, spending a half hour with me to talk about the real estate market of Canada.
1: Absolutely. It's super fun. I'm, uh, I'm excited that you reached out and uh, offered me a, a great uh, opportunity for, for helping your listeners. And, uh, you know, Nick, I, I should have you on my podcast as well.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. So um, if you want more information about Sarah... Uh, I'll put all of the the links and sites that she just mentioned up in our show notes. And be sure to check out her website, sarahlarby.com, for pretty much all the things that we we discussed today. And uh, until next time, listeners, we will catch you all later.